Rhonda, if you would read. So this morning we're going to be reading from Matthew 6, 31 through 34. So don't worry saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Rhonda, grateful for that. Hey, so we've been in a series on uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon, found in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. We've just kind of been working our way through that, and it is so important to understand the backdrop and the context for the Sermon on the Mount is the kingdom of God. And we've said every week that two things are of utmost importance in the kingdom of God, relationships. Relationships matter more than anything else in the kingdom of God. And then secondly, the heart, changed hearts. We've said that whereas the law could only focus on behavior, the kingdom of God focuses on changing people from the inside out. And so, 2,000 years ago, on a day when Jesus could have talked about anything he, he wanted, he chose to talk about worry. And one of the things we learn from this sermon is that worry, it, you know, was part of people's lives even 2,000 years ago. Now, they worried about different stuff than you and I worry about, but for as long as there has been people, worry has been a constant companion. Worry has stolen the show. So I tried to remember this week some of the things like I worried about when I was a kid. And I kind of have a recollection of worrying about things like my grades. I worried about homework, probably not enough, but I did worry sometimes about homework. I worried about getting into trouble. Like one time I carved my initials in my desk and I got into trouble for that because, well, they were like my initials and it was my desk, right? I wasn't a real smart kid growing up. Um, I worried if I would be good enough in sports. I worried about a guy by the name of Brad Sharp. Brad Sharp was a bully that lived in my neighborhood, went to my uh, elementary school. Uh, when he was 10 years old, I believe this guy's voice had already changed. He was like shaving regularly, you know what I mean? That kind of guy. In fact, Brad Sharp isn't even his real name. I changed it on the off chance he might hear this sermon and somehow take up an offense. I still kind of worry about Brad Sharp, if I'm honest. Right? I remember worrying about getting into trouble with my parents. I remember worrying about my mom when she was in the hospital. I remember thinking as a kid how amazing it would be to be an adult. Like, like adults didn't have parents they had to answer to. They didn't have to do what people like teachers wanted them to do. You know, I just the freedom of that sounded amazing to me as a child. But I had no idea that adulthood would bring even more things to worry about. Worry is essentially a preoccupation with tomorrow. 
It's a, it's a poor attempt at trying to control tomorrow. It's an attempt to find certainty in tomorrow because people worry in the face of uncertainty. In fact, we said two weeks ago that every moment of your life has been uncertain. It's just that in some seasons of our lives, we recognize that uncertainty more so than in others. And in case you weren't here two weeks ago, I do want to catch you up on what we said before we jump into the passage today. Uh, But Jesus really made three points last week. And to make the first point, he just asked a question. Here it is, Matthew chapter 6, verse 27. Can any of you add one moment to his life, to his lifespan, by worrying? See, Jesus is making the point that your worry adds nothing to your life. It is unhelpful. It's unreasonable. It accomplishes nothing. And in fact, how many of you have worried so much you think you may have actually taken life expectancy off your life? Yeah, I mean, if we're honest and real, most of us, right? Listen, I don't care how good you are at worrying. You may be a professional worrier, but your worry, Jesus says, accomplishes nothing. I mean, think about it this way. Nobody has ever stood on a stage like this and thanked worry for getting them there. Nobody. It does nothing beneficial in your life. And then the other thing that Jesus said a couple of weeks back is he said, look, we are supposed to sow. We are supposed to reap. We are supposed to store away. We are supposed to do those things. Birds and flowers don't do those things, and yet God still even cares for them, right? So the point is that we're supposed to do what we can with today, and we're all supposed, we're meant to trust God with our tomorrow. I'm faithful in today. I trust for tomorrow. And listen, saying don't worry is not the same thing as saying don't care. Because it would be easy to kind of go, well, all right, you know, I just won't care about anything. I just won't do anything. I won't be faithful. I'll just kind of surf through life, right? So let's say you're a student. You have a big test tomorrow. Hey, Jesus said not to worry about that test. So you know what? I'm not going to study. I'm not going to do any preparation for that test. But remember, Jesus said we're supposed to do our part. Let's say your marriage is in trouble you know, in crisis, and your wife says, look, we need to go see a counselor. Well, yeah, hon, but Jesus said, don't worry about our marriage, so I think I'll blow that off, right? I mean, I just think it'll work out. I just think it'll work out because Jesus said, don't worry. That is not what Jesus is teaching here. We do what we can. We invest in the things we're supposed to invest in, right? And then once we've done that, we trust him for everything else. So saying don't worry is not the same thing as saying don't care. So have you filled out the application? Have you studied? Did you show up for the interview? Did you pay all the bills that you could pay? Have you done everything you can do? Is there a sign in the yard? I mean, it just goes on and on and on. It's just important to recognize that in these verses, Jesus is not advocating irresponsibility. He's saying, look, I want you to care but I don't want you to obsess 
with all this anxiety and just wring your hands over an uncertain future. Because you have a heavenly father, your future is not uncertain. Your future is in my hands. I hold it. But you have to trust me with that. And then finally, Jesus reminded us that when we worry, we simply aren't trusting God. Listen, this is so amazing. Jesus said last time that that there is a correlation between the size of our faith and the amount of our worry. So the bigger my faith, the smaller my worry. Or the bigger my worry, the smaller my faith. And you and I, friends, are meant for faith, not worry, not worry. And then Jesus begins to kind of summarize in verse 31 what we worked through the two weeks ago. And here's what he says in verse 31. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Now, he's addressing their culture, right? Uh, in this room, most of us don't worry about what we're going to eat or what we're going to wear. I mean, that just frankly isn't what most of us are worried about. I think if Jesus were speaking to us in this room today, he would say something like this. He would say, so don't worry saying, where am I going to find a job in this economy? So don't worry saying, am I ever going to be able to afford a house? I think he would say, don't worry saying, how am I going to, you know, be able to sell my house right now? I think he would say, don't worry and saying, hey, how am I going to pay for my kid's college education? Or how am I going to get that scholarship to get into that school? Or, hey, am I even going to get into that school that I want to get to? He says, look, don't spend your time stressed out over these things. Not because they're not important. Of course they're important. It's not because you should be careless. He says, no, don't worry about those things. After all, you've if you've done everything you can do, you need to trust God with everything else. And then, I love this, he uses an illustration involving people who don't know God. Here's how he describes them. He says, for the Gentiles, now that's anybody who didn't have the faith who wasn't in the Jewish faith. So this would be anybody, he's saying, look, Gentiles don't believe in a personal God. They don't believe that God answers prayer. They don't believe that God knows their name. But you have a God that does all of those things, right? Um, and some versions of the Bible here use the word pagan. Uh, so, and that implies exactly the same thing, people who don't believe in God. So he says, for the Gentiles run after all these things. It's a, it's a really important little phrase. When he says the Gentiles run or chase after, that's parallel with they devote themselves to these things. In other words, they build their lives around these things. They build their lives around savings accounts and bank accounts and homes and vacations and comfort and food and clothing. That's their life. But your life is meant to be bigger than that. You're not a Gentile. You're not a pagan. You are the people of God. You are followers of Jesus. See, he's saying, look, you're not at all like flowers and birds which are here today and gone tomorrow. You've been appointed for eternity. See, here's what he's getting at. This is, this is sobering. He says, when you worry... You are acting just like people who don't even believe in God. 
You are a practical atheist. You have a heavenly father, a God who knows your name, a God who holds your future. So he says, you know, the Gentiles run after all these things, right? He says, look, when you worry, you are advertising your lack of faith and trust in God. You are acting just like pagans, just like everybody else. And I think Jesus is insinuating something here. It's so important to take note of. I think what he's saying is this. You know, as you bump into people, as you share your story with people, as you speak to your neighbors, you know, maybe, or people in the marketplace, people you work with, you know, they devote, they chase after things like food and clothing and bank accounts and securities, right? They should be amazed when they look at your life at how serene you are, how different you are. They should be able to look at your life and go, man, where's the anxiety? I mean, you seem to care. You seem to be a responsible person, but you don't seem to worry about like everyone else. I mean, aren't you afraid? I mean, how do you sleep at night? Aren't you freaked out? Because we live in a day and age where everybody's freaked out, right? They're freaked out about the direction of our country. They're freaked out about the economy. And Jesus says, look, I hold all that. I've got all that. None of that worries me. Trust in me. Because you know you have a heavenly father. I mean, look, Jesus, I think he's just saying, look, here is your opportunity to shine more brightly as a follower of Jesus than any generations of Christians have ever been able to shine before. This day, this age, where worry and anxiety and chronic fatigue are just so overwhelming, you have an opportunity to intentionally grow your faith in such a way that you're just not a worrier. You're unmoved. You are unfazed because you have a great big God who's right there with you. In fact, look at the promise that um, Jesus makes at the backside of verse 32. He says, And your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. He knows. He knows. He knows. He knows. Listen, He knows your family. He knows what you need. He knows what you're up against. He knows what you are going through. He knows. He knows. He knows. He knows about your loneliness, He knows about that struggle. But if he knows and he's on it because he cares for you, then we should have nothing to worry about. We should should choose rest and trust instead. So I want you to think about this. I mean, if, if you really believed, if I began to really believe that God knows what I need and that he cares for me, that he knows about my loneliness, he knows about my stress, knows about my marriage, knows about the house, knows about my industry, knows about the job, knows about the need to close. If I were really confident that God knew all of that, I mean, what, do, what would happen to our stress level? It'd go way down, wouldn't it? And now Jesus is going to come to the solution to worry and what he's going to propose. Remember, we said a couple of weeks ago that we worry about the things we're most devoted to. In other words, if I wasn't devoted to something, I wouldn't worry about it. So confession, as a pastor, I never ever worry about your kids' grades. 
I don't lose sleep at night worrying whether your kids are making A's, B's, or C's. You know why? Because I'm not devoted to your kids doing well in school. Now, if you came up to me and said, Pastor, pray for Johnny, you know, he's barely getting by. I would pray. I would have empathy. But I'm not devoted to your kids doing well in school in the same way that you are, right? Because we worry about the things we're devoted to. Remember, what started off this conversation with Jesus? He said, you can't be devoted to both God and money. Here's the idea here. He's saying, change your devotion. Change. If you want to worry less, change what you are most devoted to. And so here's how he says it. But seek first, but seek first, In other words, don't chase after the same thing everybody else chases after. I want you to chase after something better. I want you to chase after me. But seek first. In other words, before you seek anything else, seek me. Seek my kingdom. Live for me. What you've been chasing is leading you straight into the valley of worry and anxiety. You've been devoted to the same things as everybody else, and consequently, you are caught in the same trap as everybody else. So I want to give you a solution. The solution is a transfer of devotion, a transfer of trust. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek those things first. Seek those things first as opposed to school, as opposed to grades, as opposed to athletics, as opposed to what house you live in, as opposed to a savings account, as opposed to that prodigal son or prodigal daughter you're so worried about. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness as opposed to a happy marriage or as opposed to the marriage you wish you could get out of. And know this. As long as your primary devotion is financial security, you are always going to worry about that. It's inevitable. Because we bow down and serve our idols, right? I mean, we we make our idols and then we serve our idols. And that's what worry in this case is. Because we worry about the things we're most, you know, devoted to. So to accept Jesus' challenge to seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. Here's what I'd like to propose. So one day, Jesus was praying. He was praying alone. He was facing the cross, and he was uh, fearful. He knew, I mean, he knew the excruciation he was going to have to endure. And so he said something to God. He said, hey, if it be possible, God, could you let this cup pass from my lips? But then at the end of that prayer, Jesus said something astounding. He said, but you know what, God? Not not my will. Your will be done. At the end of the day, even though this is going to be excruciating, even though I'm going to lose my life, even though I'm going to place my life in your hands, and and it's going to be a very, very painful way to die, I'm good with that if that's your will. Listen, when when believers follow Jesus with that kind of prayer, they are beginning to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
when they can pray like that. Hey, God, I know I need to sell my, I need to sell my house, but God, your will be done, right? Or maybe, hey, I need, I need to go to school, God, but you know what? I, I seek your kingdom first, and I go to school second, I've decided to seek your kingdom first and building my business second. I've decided to seek your kingdom first and uh, leave my singleness up to you. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. In other words, Jesus, I've made a transfer of devotion. I'm changing sides. I'm flipping sides. I'm flipping from my kingdom and my commitment to building it to your kingdom and my commitment to being used there instead. So I think Jesus says this to us. He says, look, would you make the decision to open up your hands and say, look, I'm surrendering everything, not last, but first, my good marriage, my bad marriage. I'm surrendering my finances, my 401k. I'm surrendering everything to to you. And then in your prayer life, when you pray, you say, God, but you know what? Not my will, not me. It's not about me. It's about your kingdom first and foremost in my life. Your will be done. That's what the kingdom of God is, right? It's that place where the will of God is always done. And just like there's a kingdom of the enemy, which is that kingdom where God's will is not done and not accomplished there. Here in this world is the kingdom of God where God's will is always accomplished. And I want that more than anything else. And here's why it's so important. Because life is uncertain. It's not a sure thing, right? Let me just tell you a small way that happened to me this morning. So uh, yesterday, I pulled a very clean shirt out of the washer. Then I got up real early this morning and I took that shirt and I ironed it. I mean, it was gorgeous. And you know why? Because I really wanted you guys to see that shirt like on me this morning. I couldn't wait. And so I spent probably about 20 minutes uh, ironing this shirt, getting it all ready. And I was so concerned about this shirt that I didn't even put it on because I was afraid it would wrinkle uh, between, you know, then and when I would actually get up here. So I hung it real neatly. I buttoned it up and I carried it on a little hanger. Um, So I was so excited for you to see this shirt, right? Well, so I I come into the vestibule there. I'm between the two doors, and um, I'm also a coffee drinker. Any coffee drinkers in the room? You already know where this is going, don't you? Yeah, so I get in between those two doors, um, go to change hands with that cup of coffee. I'm holding the shirt right here, just all over, and it's a white shirt, by the way, so no chance I'm wearing this shirt. In fact, I, I have coffee on the front of this shirt. I'm just saying, don't judge. I mean, it was everywhere. Shouldn't have been. I mean, you just never know, right? I mean, this is what prompts worry. You just never know. There's no such thing as a, as a sure thing. And so why not just entrust ourselves into the kingdom, which is always a sure thing. It's never going away. It's never going to fail you. It's never going to disappoint you. The kingdom of God is the only thing that will matter in your mind in 50 or 100 years. Nothing else will be important to you ever only the kingdom of god so how many of you remember a film called back to the future yeah so 
when I was on my honeymoon with my wife Jackie back in 1985, we went to see this movie. It's been one of my favorite movies ever since. And um, if you've seen it, you know that Michael J. Fox uh, plays a character. Anybody know the character's name? Yeah. Can anybody tell me his last name? Marty what? Wow, well done. You know your, your Back to the Future trivia. Well, you should, right? Because there's been like a million of these things made now. There's like, you know, Back to the Future. I went back to the future. Your mom went back to the future. Aunt Mildred went back to the future. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on, right? So you probably do know his name. Well, Marty is a teenager. He's living in 1985, and he needs to go back 30 years uh, to fix the way his parents will meet, right? Well, no, that's not true. He goes back in time to try to change his future. And what does he go back in? What kind of car? Anybody remember? Well done. Okay, yeah. So, but as he, as he tries to get back into the future to go back from 1955 to 1985, he inadvertently bumps into his parents before they meet. He mistakenly messes up. By the way, there's, this has everything to do with worry, so stay with me. Uh, he, he, he bumps into his parents before they meet. He mistakenly messes up the way they will meet, which is going to keep them from falling in love, which is going to keep them from getting married, which is going to keep them from having kids. And so Marty's future is literally in jeopardy in this movie, right? Um, and the way the film portrays Marty's uncertain future, remember, it's a photograph. And in that photograph, as his future is becoming more and more uncertain, it's a photograph of he and his siblings, his siblings start to just disappear in this picture. And pretty soon, he's starting to just disappear. And so for the whole movie, Marty McFly, I mean, he's like he's doing this deal, right? He's just running around like a crazy guy trying to secure this picture of his future, and it all depends on him. Now, if we're honest, this could be a movie about all of us, only we wouldn't be trapped in the past. Because here's the truth. Every single one of us in this room, we have a picture in our mind of our future. We do. And we will do anything, you know, this deal, you know, whatever we have to do, right, to, to make that happen. Because like this, you know, this marriage, this has to happen, right? This kind of house, this has to happen. See, every single one of us have dreams and hopes for the way our future is going to look. I mean, we have a hope for a home. We have a hope for some level of financial success. We have a hope for love and relationships. We have a hope for a family. We have a hope for a career, you know, some sort of significance and success. All these things fill out our picture of the future. But just like Marty McFly, we live with this nagging concern and fear that maybe these things won't happen, that maybe they're disappearing, that maybe they'll, they'll never come true. But what if, what if you and I took that picture of the future that we hold so tightly to our chest, what if we took that and we offered it instead to God and said, not my will, but yours 
not my life. It's your life. It's your life, God. Whatever you want, I'll do it. That's what it means to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It means that we put his agenda before our own. We put his dreams for our life before our own. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then listen to this amazing promise. It's incredible. The back half of verse 33. And all of these things, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Because you're more important to God than a bird, and you're more important to God than a flower. And you have been invited into a relationship with him where you can call him Abba, Father, Papa. And so you know he is going to take care of you. You know. And then look at verse 34. Therefore, therefore do not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So I have a son that forecasts the weather in Shreveport, Louisiana. So don't hold him accountable for here. He doesn't do it here, right? Can't blame him for what does or doesn't happen here. He does it down there. And if Jesus were a meteorologist based on verse 34, do you know what he would tell us? He would say, there is a 100% chance you're going to have some trouble today. And there's a 100% chance you're going to have some trouble tomorrow. So why don't you offer those to me? Why don't you offer those to me today? My shoulders are way bigger than you. And why don't you offer those to me tomorrow? See, this is not, the call out to worry isn't a call to a trouble-free life. He's not saying don't worry because your life's just going to be smooth sailing. No, he acknowledges, look, trouble's going to blow into your life today and trouble is going to blow into your life tomorrow. That's just real. It's just real. But Jesus says that we conquer worry, not by trying to conquer our worry, but by taking whatever picture we have of our life and saying, God, this belongs to you, not me. I belong to you, not just me. You know, a couple months ago, we celebrated St. Patrick's Day. Uh, St. Patrick, uh, everybody thinks St. Patrick was Irish. He was not. He was actually born in Britain. He was kidnapped as a boy and so, uh, in Britain and sold into slavery in Ireland. And when he, when he got to Ireland, he was made a shepherd. And so while he was in the fields, like David in the Old Testament, he just developed this intimate, passionate relationship with Christ. And, and in those fields, he learned as a young boy to trust Christ for all of his needs. He put into practice what I'm asking all of you to put into practice. He sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And in fact, his faith grew so strong that years later, having escaped Ireland and migrated back to Britain, he actually chose to return to Ireland as a missionary in order to serve the very people who had uh, held him captive and sold him into slavery. 
And he's very, very famous for a prayer. And uh, this prayer is called the Breastplate of St. Patrick. And it's my hope that you'll know this that this will be your experience in the days and weeks and years and months and seasons to come. Here's how he prayed. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. This is my prayer and this is my prayer for you that you would feel so held and kept by your Savior and your Heavenly Father that you will spend far less time in your future held captive to worry and anxiety. And in fact, I want to pray that for you. And then what we're going to do is we're going to remember our Jesus together. We're going to take communion together. Um, and we're going to celebrate that because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, that prayer can be true for all of us. Amazing. So, Father, uh, Papa, we're grateful for your unspeakable gift. We're grateful for what your son has done and for what he secured and for the fact that even in this moment, he is front and center in all of our lives. And so, um, God, as we worship and we ask you to build our lives we ask you to build our lives on a proper foundation, on, a, on your kingdom, not a falling house of cards that we want to call our own kingdom. So God, help every one of us in the room do a transfer of devotion. I mean, I guess, God, we could keep on doing the same old thing, keep being devoted to the things that we're devoted for now and just continue to be overwhelmed by chronic worry and anxiety. But God, you've given an invitation. You've offered a better way. Help us to seize it. Help us to grab hold of it. Help us to build our lives on you. We ask and pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hey, as we worship and sing, we're going to take communion together today. And you're going to notice there are tables here at the front. There are tables there in the back can make your way either direction we want to ask you to come down these aisles and then you can either return to your seat down this middle aisle or the side aisles or if you choose you can come envision this as an altar you can come directly to the altar but here's the key i want you to hold on you know we're, we're going to give you the bread and we're going to give you a cup we want you to hold on to those and then i'm going to come back up and we're going to take those together because there's power in that. There's power in together. And we're going to remember our Jesus in that way. And so now come and receive the altar is open. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. 
Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Beside you, open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Worthy of every song. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you, oh Jesus. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember our Jesus together. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, 
saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Once again, let's remember the shed blood of our Savior. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Amen. Stand and worship with us. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken. in with this morning. You know, I don't know what's in front of you. I don't know what you, what keeps you up awake at night. I don't know what you, your first thought was when you woke up at bed at three o'clock in the morning last night. But I know this, you have a heavenly father. You have a heavenly father. You don't have to live like everybody else. You don't have to stay on that treadmill, someone is looking out for you. And so let me just pray for you, for us. Hey God, we're grateful for your word, for your Holy Spirit that you've placed within us. We're grateful for your love. We're grateful for your sacrifice. 
And we're grateful that you care and that you know. You, you told us this morning that you know what we need. You know about the loneliness. You know about the marriage. You know about the need. You know about the discouragement. God, would you meet these men and women in that? Would you meet them there? And God, help us to be a church and a people and a family. Help us to be men and women that would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Help us live differently than everybody else. Help us take whatever picture we may have of the future and present that to you and ask you to work in it and to paint an amazing picture in a way that would please you. And it's in the mighty name of our Jesus that we ask it. Amen. And so now may you know big, big faith and itty-bitty worry. God bless you guys. Thanks for working with us this week.